Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello, and welcome to Daily Doff Differently. I'm Rabbi Hilary Chorney. And I'm Rabbi Daniel Chorney. Today, we'll be discussing Daf Mem Vav, page 46 of Tractate Nadarim, dealing with the impact of vows on property owned by two partners. Because this rather long Mishnah uses many conjugations of the Hebrew verb to vow, the Gemara will ultimately have to unpack these complexities of the vows described in the Mishnah. Our rabbis in the Gemara will ask, who has taken a vow upon himself and who has been charged with a vow by his fellow? This is not always clear throughout our Mishnah. Before we can get into today's daf, we'll need to turn back to daf Memhe Amud Bet, page 45b, to the first Mishnah of chapter 5. The Mishnah opened with the case of two individuals who jointly own a courtyard and who are each prohibited by means of vows from benefiting from the other's property. The Tanakhama state that in such a case, neither may enter their shared courtyard. Should one enter the courtyard, he is deriving some benefit from his fellow's share. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov disagrees. He believes that both may enter the courtyard because when they enter, each is entering into his own share. The Mishnah continues on to today's daf, Mem Bet Amud Aleph, page 45a, stating that it's further forbidden for either person to place a mill or millstones or an oven on the property or to raise chickens there. Now our Mishnah brings a second case. If two individuals share a courtyard and only one of the individuals is bound by a vow not to enjoy his partner's property, the Tanakhama state that one who is bound by that vow cannot enter the shared courtyard. Again, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov disagrees. He would allow the individual who is bound by that vow to say to his fellow, I'm entering my part of the property, not yours. This is followed by what appears to be a statement that everyone, the Tanakhama and Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, would agree upon. That in this case, we, the rabbis, would force the individual who is bound by a vow to sell his share of the courtyard. The Mishnah now presents a third case. Here we have two individuals who share a courtyard and a third person who doesn't have a share in the courtyard who is forbidden by a vow to enjoy the property of one of the joint owners of the courtyard. The Tanakama come to say that in such a case, the third party would be prohibited from entering the courtyard. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov disagrees once more. Again, the third party could make a case that he was only enjoying the share of the courtyard that belonged to the partner with whom he has no standing vow. And here comes the fourth case of our Mishnah. One who is sworn from enjoyment of the property of a certain fellow who owns an olive press or a bathhouse that he rents out to a third party. Our Mishnah wants to teach us whether the one who is upholding his vow not to enjoy this certain fellow's property is allowed to make use of these rented properties. In this case, there's no disagreement stated. The Mishnah presents two resolutions. If the owner of the rented property 
had intended on maintaining use of the olive press or bathhouse, the property is forbidden to the one who is bound by a vow. If the owner of the rented property didn't intend on continuing to access his assets, the one who is bound by a vow is permitted to make use of them. And now for the final case of our Mishnah, which considers the difference in language between two similar vows. If one individual swears to another, Konam I swear not to enter your house nor reap from your field, then the vow is nullified when the owner of that house or field either dies or sells the property. However, if that same individual used the following language, Konam I swear not to enter this house nor take from this field, the vow remains intact even after the owner either dies or sells the property. Thus ends our Mishnah. The Gemara on Amud Aleph wants to understand the case that is not presented in our Mishnah. It asks, We know that the Chachamim, the sages represented by the Tanakama, disagree with Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov in the case that both partners took upon themselves vows not to enjoy each other's property. But what if they vowed to prohibit one another, instead of prohibiting themselves? Would the Chachamim agree with Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov in that case, because the partners are essentially imprisoned by each other's vows? Or would the Chachamim continue to rule strictly, forbidding both of the partners from entering the shared courtyard? To answer this question, the Gemara turns to the second case in our Mishnah, in which one of the partners who share a courtyard is Mudar, bound by a vow not to enjoy his partner's property. In this case, the Gemara understands the passive Mudar to indicate that this person did not make the vow himself, but was rather assigned the vow by his partner. And in this same case, the Chachamim rules strictly, the mudar may not enter the courtyard, and therefore we can assume that the hachamim would be strict in a case in which both partners had forbidden each other. But the Gemara replies to itself, saying that we should teach the whole Mishnah as if these individuals had taken vows upon themselves. The Gemara wants us to understand that though our Mishnah may refer to individuals held by vows in the passive voice, he may very well have taken the vow actively upon himself. The Gemara finds proof for this in the Seifa of the second case, where the rabbis forced the Noder to sell his share of the property. This only makes sense if this whole second case is regarding an individual who took that vow on himself. Surely, had the vow been imposed upon this person, he would be imprisoned by this vow, and the rabbis would not punish him by forcing him to sell his share. At this point in the Gemara, we still don't have an answer to the question as to whether the Chachamim and Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov disagree in a case where two partners prohibit each other from use of their own property. Now Rabbah comes along and says in the name of Ze'iri that in fact this disagreement between the Chachamim and Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov only stands in a case where the joint property could be subdivided. But in the case where the joint property could not be subdivided, they would all be lenient and allow both partners use of the courtyard. Rav Yosef objects. He says that it simply cannot be the case that in all circumstances concerning shared property that cannot be subdivided, that the Chachamim would be lenient. Just take a look at the Mishnah on the upcoming daf, he says. 
there's a case of a Beit Knesset, which is shared, indivisible property of a whole city. If a certain individual in that city is mudar from enjoying the property of even one citizen of that city, he, the mudar, cannot enter the Beit Knesset. That is a clear-cut case of the Hachamim ruling strictly, holding that one who is mudar regarding enjoyment of another's property is beholden to that vow even in the case of indivisible shared property. In fact, Rav Yosef says to Rabbah, he's got the citation from Ze'iri backwards. The correct citation of Ze'iri is that in the case where the joint property cannot be subdivided, the Chachamim and Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov do agree they would all rule strictly, not leniently. Rav Huna steps in to say, in the end, the halacha in all these cases follows Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, and the Gemara brings Rabbi Elazar, who also says that the halacha in these cases goes according to Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. In the end, it doesn't matter whether Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov and the Chachamim either agree or disagree, because our sugya ends with the assertion that Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov's opinion prevails in all cases. The only question remaining is, who has the correct version of Ze'iri's teaching in regards to indivisible shared property? If indeed Rav Yosef has the correct teaching, then Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov would have ruled strictly over indivisible shared property. If Rabbah has the correct teaching, then Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov would have ruled leniently. The halacha in this case remains unresolved. The rest of the daf moves on to another piskat of the Mishnah, specifically dealing with the continued rights of a property owner over a rented piece of property. The next amud, Mem Zayin Aleph, will also continue with discussion of other piskaot of the Mishnah. This has been Daily Daf Differently. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.